0: Our scripture reading for today comes from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 30, starting with verse 15. And this is God speaking to the Israelites as they are about to go into the promised land See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. That you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob to give to them I am going to reference a number of passages this morning so if you want to write those down you may want to have a piece of paper and pencil ready Um, when I get to that part In my sermon last week, I spoke about the spiritual foundations of what we see happening in our culture today that is called the woke movement. I also mentioned last week that I believe that there are real demonic forces working behind the scenes to bring about these changes in our culture. And today I want to delve a little deeper into that comment and show you what I mean by that. The place where we have to start this discussion is in what some people call the unseen realm. As Christians, I hope we believe that there are two, at least two, primary realms of existence where sentient beings exist. There is the visible physical realm that we occupy as human beings and dwell in, And there is an unseen realm where God and his spiritual creature, creaturely beings dwell. And what do I mean by these spiritual beings? Well, these are the beings that God created to serve him in that unseen realm of existence. The Bible has a number of names for them. We call some of those beings angels. They also go by names such as cherubim, seraphim throne guardians fallen angels and demons these beings come from that unseen realm and they can come into our realm and interact with us but they are primarily creatures of that realm some of these beings rebelled against God and now fight against God in both the unseen realm and our physical realm Satan is the leader of these rebels, but there is another name for them that is given in the Old Testament, and that word is the word Shedim. And this is how they are described. They're called Shedim. The New Testament Greek translates that word as daimonia. In English, we simply call them demons. That's what that word means. In the Old Testament, Shedim in the New Testament daimonia, in English, demons. These are evil spiritual beings that have sought to destroy humankind and interfere with God's work and purpose in the physical realm of human history. And we kind of talk about that as spiritual warfare, if you use the term that way. One of the ways that these shadim or demons have sought to corrupt humanity is through worship and idolatry. They seem to especially enjoy being uh, especially enjoy luring human beings from worshiping God to worshiping them. And there is a great example of this. This is one of the three temptations that Jesus was confronted with by Satan, wasn't it? Satan said, Or the Bible says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. So what Satan wanted Jesus to do was essentially worship him. This is what these demonic creatures especially seem to enjoy because it pulls the true worship of away from God, the true creator to these created beings. This demonic kind of worship becomes entrenched in the world after the events at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. At Genesis chapter 11, at the Tower of Babel, God confuses the language and spreads humankind out across the face of the earth. After this dispersion, in Genesis chapter 12, God chooses Abraham and covenants with him to be his God and the God of his descendants, claiming them as his own people. But this is the question you may never have asked yourself. What happened to all the other people and all the other nations of the world that God didn't claim as his own? There are a number of theories about this, and I don't have time to talk about them all this morning. If that interests you, I will be happy to talk about them. Or, and I'll put in a plug here, you can come to our Bible study on Genesis, where I will be talking about them. We're starting back up in August. But as the result of God withdrawing from the rest of the world, they inevitably fall under the sway of these demonic beings who set themselves up as gods, and demand worship. These beings become the pagan gods and goddesses that define pagan worship outside of God's covenantal community for generations. And if you think I'm not saying that correctly, I'm going to take you to three passages that make this very clear one from the Old Testament, one from the Psalms, and one from the New Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 16 and 17, it says, they stirred God to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations they provoked God to anger, they sacrificed to demons that were not gods. In Psalm 106, verse 36 and 37, they served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to demons. And in 1 Corinthians 10.20, Paul says, No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to participate with demons. So it's very clear from the Bible that these God, these demonic entities are being worshipped as gods, but they're really demonic beings. And this is why God is so clear with his people that they could not worship these gods, that it was idolatry, that it was an abomination. And again, the call to worship today, the first two commandments are very clear about this. We shall have no other gods before Yahweh. This is also why God gave the Israelites the promised land and took it away from the Canaanites. God commanded Joshua to utterly remove the people from the land so that his people would not be tempted to worship these demonic creatures. Yet they did not listen. They did not completely remove them from the land. And they would continually give in to this temptation And worship these false gods and goddesses. They went by many names. Baal, Ashtoreth, Molech, and others. This sacrilege, this abomination, would eventually lead to God's punishment of Israel. And its removal from the promised land as a people. That's one of the reasons God clearly cites as to why they were removed from the land. Now, these creatures just didn't exist in Israel. They existed in all of the pagan lands. They went by different names in different regions. And really, it is not until the coming of Jesus and the spreading of the Christian church across the West that these demonic beings were cast out and were put down. It was the spread of Christianity, the faith of Jesus. That led to them being pushed aside and pushed out of the central worship of the people. But that doesn't mean that they were destroyed or that they were defeated or that they gave up. They still held sway in some areas of the world. And they waited patiently for their chance to return. And I believe this is the connection with what we see happening in the cultural West today these demonic forces are returning in their influence as Christianity is rejected as it fades from the center of the culture people are returning knowingly and unknowingly to worship these demonic gods and goddesses. And what I want to do today is just look at the three primary ones of these beings, how they were worshipped, and how that reflects what's going on today. And I'm taking some of this information from a new book that just recently came out. Uh, it's written by Jonathan Kahn. It's called The Return of the Gods. Um, I don't always agree with everything he has to say, but I think his central theme is correct. So let's look at these three and then compare them to our society today. The first of these gods was called Baal. He was the chief of the Canaanite gods, his name meant Lord, owner, or master. The Bible speaks of him in the singular and in the plural as if there were several beings that went by that name. He was the God of fertility, fruitfulness, increase, gain, and prosperity. And there are a ton of biblical passages about Baal in your Old Testament. I'll just quote one, or I'll just mention one. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah has this big battle with the prophets of Baal, where they tried to call down the fire, if you remember that story. Uh, Those were the prophets of Baal. Baal was the anti-god to Israel. He was the one who Israel most often turned to when they turned away from God for worship. How was Baal worshiped? Well, Baal was the one that drew the people away from worshiping Yahweh into worshiping himself and the other gods. And he does the same thing. Well, let me finish. He was worshiped. People brought him offerings and sacrifices. They would bring him animals to be sacrificed. They would bring him food. They would even bring their children to be sacrificed to Baal for fertility, for fruitfulness, for gain and prosperity. Uh, The other element of of Baal worship was sexual uh, perversity including homosexuality, these were all part of how he was worshipped. So how does that compare to today? Well, again, Baal was the one who mostly drew people away from God. He does the same thing in our culture today. He draws people away from God and into idolatry. This is what the secular, atheistic, woke culture is trying to do. It is trying to Minimalize Christianity, draw people away from it and into another kind of worship. And I addressed that last week in most of my sermon. That's what's happening. The woke culture is trying to diminish Christianity, draw all people away from worshiping God and promote these demonic practices. That's what Baal was trying to do back then. We see that today in all aspects of our culture, the media, the government, the schools, medicine, Church attendance is down, Christian identification is declining, and we as a culture are in fact turning away from God. Is there any evidence of this today? And I don't know if you have heard this or not, or if you're aware of this or not. I have a picture of it that we're going to show. It is interesting to note that this item you can see here is displayed. Where is this being displayed at? In Washington? This is the archway into the Temple of Baal. It was displayed here in Washington. It's been displayed in London, in New York. It's been displayed in Dubai. It's being displayed all around the world. It is literally the doorway into the Temple of Baal. And tens of million people have come to see it and participate. And you can see that. I think that's the Capitol or the White House there behind it. So this has just happened in the last couple of years. And there are other evidence as well. I'm not going to go into all of them. But we are returning to these things. The second of the major demonic beings back then was called Ashtera, And you'll also see her throughout the Old Testament. She was so important to the pagan cultures that she was called the queen of heaven. She was linked to the planet Venus, which was associated with love. She was the breaker of rules and the transgressor of boundaries, especially sexual boundaries. She was a seducer and a temptress. She was the goddess of sexuality, prostitution, taverns, intoxication, and witchcraft. Her images, depictions of her, were prolific in all the cultures that worshipped her. She was depicted in idols and carvings as a naked or half-naked woman. She was also known as the goddess of transformation. She blurred the line between the sexes in her sexual pursuit. She had the power to turn a woman into a man and a man into a woman. A Mesopotamian tablet from that time said this, when I am in the alehouse, I am a woman and I am an exuberant young man. So she would blur the lines between the masculine and the feminine. Her cult, the priests in her cult, would dress up in clothing of the opposite sex as a part of the worship service. She was known to masculinize women and feminize men. And Baal and Astora are often linked together. Sometimes they're called husband and wife, but they're often linked together. And I'll just read a couple passages that show you that. Uh, Judges chapter 2, Verse 11 to 13, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them, and they bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord's anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baal and the Ashtoreth. And then in Judges chapter 10 is another example, Judges 10, 6. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth, the gods of Syria and the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab and the gods of the Ammonites, the gods of the Philistines, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve him. So these demonic entities, they held sway over all of the pagan lands, and they were worshipped in all of the pagan lands. How was Astra worshiped her worship reflected her nature she was worshiped through sexuality her temples were places of ritual sex acts and temple prostitution for example in Babylon her followers were required to come into the temple at least one time and have sexual relations with a stranger for profit. The practices of of her cult were infamous for lewdness and depravity. Her worship also involved alcohol, drugs and intoxication, witchcraft and spells. The drugs and the alcohol uh, diminished the inhibitions and awoke the mind to spiritual realities, while the spells and the divinations were used to improve fertility and to make people more pliable to these sexual pursuits. How does that compare to today? Wherever Astra went, sexual norms broke down and perverse sexuality flourished. I hardly doubt I need to convince you that that is where we are today. The entire sexual revolution that we have been going through in this country resembles and epitomizes the worship of Astra. sex outside of marriage the destruction of the family pornography the lgbtq agenda transgenderism pedophilia these were all practices that worshipers of Astra participated in and we see them in every aspect of our culture today media television hollywood schools government social media we also see a rise in self-gratification the use of alcohol and drugs is way up a resurgence of the occult is way up. And these all would be identified with Ashtera. And the last of the ones I'll mention today, although there are others, is Molech. Among the demonic entities, Molech is the most horrifying of them all. He was known, he was known as the abomination or the destroyer. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 7, it says, Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Molech, the abomination of the Ammonites, on the mountain east of Jerusalem. Molech was the god who celebrated human sacrifice, especially children. He was responsible for the most gruesome and abhorrent practices of any culture because it devalues and degrades life and the image of God. Yahweh values life. Molech valued death. How was he worshipped? Parents would bring their children to his temple or altar or statue where the priests would sacrifice them usually by burning them alive or killing them and then burning them. The children were sacrificed to receive God's favor or power and for prosperity. And this is how it often worked. They would build these large statues of Molech and the statue would have his hands outstretched like this over a pit of fire and they would take the infant baby and they would place it on one of the metal hands of the statue and the baby's own body temperature would warm the metal and when the metal got warmed, it would slowly rotate downwards and the baby would be dropped into the fire alive. Other times they would bring them to the temple and they would slaughter them on the altar or burn them on the altar it was an abomination to God and he is very clear about that in Leviticus 18 21 he says you shall not give any of your children to offer them to Molech and so profane the name of your God I am the Lord Lord in Jeremiah 32, 35, and Jeremiah's kind of looking backwards, they built the high places of Baal in the valley of the son of Hinnom to offer up their sons and their daughters to Molech, though I did not command them, nor did it enter into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. And just to make this point as clear as I can, I'm gonna play a short video. This is an archeological video where they excavated one of these temples to Molech. And you can kind of see how it worked.
1: The city of Gezer is mentioned in the Bible several times and is located in Israel between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. I just want you to look at how big these stones are. So, in his excavation report, McAllister found a pit which he described as being filled with a great number of bones of human beings in a confused heap. Nearby was the skeleton of a young girl who had evidently been sawn asunder. She had been cut in half and found along. With this, the skulls of two other girls who had been decapitated. And this can be determined because of the cut marks through the vertebrae. And then McAllister says that all around the feet of the columns, that is the standing stones, McAllister discovered the skeletons of young infants. They were deposited in large jars and the skeletons showed marks of fire. Started finding all over the place here around the base of these pillars jars With burned human babies inside of them Okay, and this is from his excavation report you can see the skeletal remains of a burned baby inside of the jar Buried ritually Not just buried, but buried ritually. Now, how are they buried ritually? They're buried in a a place of sacrifice, in a sacred place of worship. So in his excavation report, McAllister made a plan of the high place from the perspective of looking straight down on it. And then on this top plan, he marked with the letter J everywhere where he had found these infant jar burials. Look at all the J's, J, 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 J. See all the J's? Jar burials with not just baby bones in them, burned baby bones in them. Okay, this is about a seven, six, seven-year-old girl that was cut in half. You can tell, by the way, when they're cut um, in half because you have a cut mark right through the vertebrae, right through the bones. Below this area, McAllister discovered a cave, and when his team cleared it, a flat stone was found at the center of the cave. Still lying upon it were the remains of the skeleton of a human infant. I know this is sobering. I know you're not having a good time, but you either want to know what's actually found in the ground or you don't. And it's important to know what's actually found in the ground. So essentially for Macalester, it was like excavating a crime scene. What happened here? What was going on? And so he had the evidence, but he still needed to interpret it. And what Macalester used to interpret what he'd found in the ground was the Bible. Numbers 13.29 says that the Amorites live in the hill country of Canaan. Since Gezer was located in the hill country of Canaan, he interpreted it to be an Amorite city. So who were the Amorites? They were Canaanites. Why? Because they descended from the man Canaan, and the Amorites were the most powerful of the Canaanite tribes. McAllister used Exodus 23, that mentions the Amorite sacred stones, to identify the row of sacred stones he had unearthed at Gezer. The other large stone with a flat top he identified as an altar, and the purpose of its carved-out basin was for catching the blood of sacrifices. Based on these verses, McAllister knew the site he was excavating was a Canaanite high place where Amorites had worshiped their gods. The many idols found in the area provided evidence that this was a cultic site. Among the many idols that were found was a bronze serpent representing Moloch, the king of the Amorite gods. Remember reading about Moloch in the Bible? This is how he is represented, a snake, Who do you think the snake is that's getting the Canaanites to sacrifice their own children? In Deuteronomy 12:31, the Lord says to the Israelites, you must not worship the Lord your God in their way, because in worshiping their gods, they do all kinds of detestable things the Lord hates. They it. even burn their sons and daughters in the fire as sacrifices to their gods. See, Using was, this verse that and others the like it, like you can see
0: how he was worshiped. So how does that compare to today? Well, a culture that's influenced by this demonic agenda no longer values life. We have seen this in communism, Nazism, but unfortunately here in America as well today, the culture of death is alive and well. We may think it's terrible that and it was terrible, that these babies were sacrificed, burned, buried. Is it any different than sticking a vacuum tube down inside a woman and sucking out the baby's parts? On the altar of self on the altar of prosperity how many children have we offered through abortion maybe not knowingly but to a God the God of self the God of freedom the God of future blessings and we don't just murder them we sell their parts for experimentation we are moving today towards killing the old and the infirm even just the unhappy by euthanasia Suicide rates are skyrocketing amongst our youth, and the world elites literally want to depopulate large portions of the world. We are in the midst of a culture of death, and I would argue that whether they know it or not, these demonic forces are behind a lot of this. So when it comes to this, I guess what I want to say is whether you believe in demons and demonic forces or not, whether you think this is just human evil, that's okay. Our secular atheist culture is promoting and practicing the very same rites and rituals that historically have marked the worship of these demonic pagan gods. It isn't coincidental that at the same time as the worship of the one true God is waning in America, these same demonic religions and theologies are returning to fill the void. And human beings are causing this to happen by rejecting God, by willfully turning to these demonic forces. And the more we do so, the stronger they get. I don't know about you, but it's amazing to me how fast our culture is degenerating. How quickly we are turning away. God calls these practices. All of them abominations. And he punished harshly. The nations that practiced them. In Noah's day God destroyed the entire world. Because of its sin and rebellion. In the time of Abraham God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Because they practiced these things. In the time of the Exodus, God is very clear that he destroyed the Canaanite nations because they practiced these things. God is also clear that he ultimately removed his chosen people from the land of Israel because they could not stop worshiping these demonic beings. Do we really think that God will not judge us and our nation? Do we really believe That a nation that was once Christian and that now turns away will not suffer the same things. So what is our response? Well, as a nation, God's command in scripture is almost always the same. Humble yourselves, repent, turn away from this sin and turn back to God. God throughout history has called nations and cities to do this very thing. God wants people to recognize him, to honor him, to obey him. And if a people does that, he promises he will heal their land and bring about a time of peace and prosperity. We have had for most of our existence that time of peace and prosperity in this country. But that has changed. And the more we delve into this evil and its practices, the more it seems that God can only bring about some type of punishment upon us. I don't know the mind of God. I don't know what he's going to do. He's sovereignly in control. I don't know what's going to happen ultimately. But we need to change. And I think churches are going to be the only source of that change because we're the only source of God's law of God's teaching of God's love and God's grace and if we don't speak up and we don't lead this country back to the worship of God and away from these other things it'll be our own fault I'm not saying that's going to be easy But we need to be out there, engaged in the culture. We need to be standing up for what God has taught us is right and true and beautiful, for what leads to human flourishing, to family, to the right kind of sexual practices. As individuals, to whatever degree we have or do participate in these things, we need to repent and turn away. And I know there are people probably in this church that have maybe been involved in some of these things. I'm not here to condemn anybody. God's not here to condemn anybody because God's good news is if you repent, if you turn back to him, there is nothing that cannot be forgiven. He is waiting with open arms. And I'm always just reminded of the parable of the prodigal son who takes the father's wealth and goes away to a distant country and spends it all in licentious living. And then when he finally turns and comes to his senses and comes back, what does the father do? He runs to him. He welcomes him. He lavishes blessings upon him. That is the good news of the gospel. We can turn at any time back to God, and he will welcome us, love us, forgive us, because Jesus Christ paid the penalty for all of that. So as individuals, the answer is, as I suggested last week, that we stand up for God's truth and that we work to bring people out of these lifestyles. That we share the good news of the gospel. Because God wants nothing more than for lost people to repent and return to him for his children to come back home to him. And I know this is not the easiest topics. I feel like I've been the bearer of bad news these last two weeks. But uh, I think we need to be aware of these things. I think we need to know what the culture is up to and what our role in the culture is. We are to be salt and light into this culture that is denying God and turning away from God. And we need to continue to proclaim that gospel, continue to change people's lives, continue to be a source of truth and love and grace and mercy in this lost and fallen culture in which we live. Amen.